Thank you, worship team. Good morning, everybody. I don't know what you did wrong to get me again. I'm so sorry. I know I'm not Craig. Uh, he hasn't gotten much better looking and a lot more hair. Um, don't tell him I said that. Um, but it's really awesome for me to be able to be here and share again this morning. Um, it is a little bit different. The kids are in the service this morning um, because of the fact that we are running on December time and it's festive and it's Christmas. Doesn't the Christmas tree look beautiful? No, no, no. Doesn't the Christmas tree look beautiful? Thank you. Thank you to our team, our decorative team. Don't I look beautiful? Taryn, I didn't hear you loud enough. Um, your Christmas present is still waiting. Um, no, it's, it's awesome to be here, and I'm excited to be able to share again this morning. Um, I feel like I was set up um, because I love Christmas so much. They put me on to speak about Christmas, um, which is so exciting. And I'm going to continue the theme that we've been looking at for the last little while. Um, the theme of following the signs and finding God. There was an alternate uh, title apparently as well. Signs that make us wonder. Christmas makes me wonder. And I, and I pray that as we get closer to this time of celebration, you too are starting to feel the wonder of Christmas. Are we there yet? Okay, that still wasn't good enough. We need more. It's the bestest time of the year. Um, there we go. That's better. That'll do. Can we try that again? Am I good looking today? Thank you, Jared. I'm very glad to see so many of the evening service people here today. It's awesome to have you. Um, I'm very surprised because they were soaking last night. Um, and later on, we will do a demonstration. Um, but Craig, two weeks ago, spoke about the star, looking specifically at the three groups of people that were made aware of the star and how they needed to respond. It was Herod, it was the Magi, and obviously the kings and priests. Uh, the priests, um, and how of that group, two people, two groups responded very, very badly. And then last week, Nate shared about the shepherds and they, how they came to find about the baby, um, and how they themselves were a sign of this Christmas time, um, these outcasts, smelly outcasts, getting the message of the Messiah and a result of what they've seen, being compelled to tell the world around them. And there has definitely been an aspect to the way that we've looked at Christmas this year about the fact that it's not about us. There's a focus around the world that we need to reach, and it's, it's not going to change today. Today we continue to search for the signs in the nativity narratives. So many alliterations, it's beautiful. And we consider one of the most glaring signs of Christmas, the appearances of the angels in the story. Now, um, I spent some time this week listening to the last few sermons just to get my head around where everybody's been. And, and one of the things that Craig said a couple of weeks ago was, imagine you get the opportunity to rewrite the Christmas story. Maybe not rewrite it, but write it as you would. None of us, would think to consider the characters that they are in the Christmas story. A teenage mom, shepherds, strange astrologers from the east, an old man and woman in the temple, 
it all seems very unkingly, right? If we were to think about who should be in this, it should be big, it should be bold, there should be singers, there should be trumpets, it should be intense because the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords was coming down to earth. And in every way, all the characters just seem incredibly humble until we think of the angels. They come and there's a large group of them in some stories. Well, it's one of the stories. It's absolutely amazing. And for the first time, it looks as though heaven was coming down to earth to tell us that heaven was coming down to earth. For the first time, it makes sense. And that's only because we finally get to see something amazing. Bright lights, a little show. Maybe they're doing some dancing. There was mics. That just seems a little bit more. Not that kind of mics. Um, Good looking ones. Um, For the first time, it looks as though the story's starting to make sense. Heaven was coming down. Just a little bit about angels. Um, I know that Andrew loves angels, so we're sharing just briefly about them today. Angels are not unique to the Christmas story. And actually, they appear throughout Scripture. They are spiritual beings created by God to do His work and to share messages with people. The Greek word for angel is angelos, which means messenger. And we know that angels were created by God, and they were created to serve mankind. These beings are depicted as bright and brilliant and carriers of God's glory, messengers of God, protectors of God's people, but also bringers of God's wrath and judgment, which means that they can be quite intimidating. We always see these angels as these long-haired, beautiful human beings, special things. But imagine for a moment that they looked like Eben Etzebeth. That changes the picture, although Taryn wouldn't mind that because she has a little crush on Eben. But just think for a moment that it's not this pretty little shiny things, but this beast of a human being thing staring at you and telling you, do not be afraid. Now, I'm large. I know this. The Lord has blessed me. I've met Eben Etzebeth, and I felt small. There are, there's nobody on earth, that, on earth that makes me feel small. But when I met him, we went Goodwood Mall. Um, he was still young in his career, so he wasn't as big as he is now. And he was a little bit scared now. Um, and as I looked, he was in front of me, and I looked. And I said, Eben. And he put his hand out to me. And my hand felt small in his hand. Now, think about that. Think about our pictures of angels and throw it out of the window because this was something scary and intimidating and bigger than Eben Etzebeth. But we love Eben Etzebeth. They were frightening. And that's why they needed to say, do not be afraid. Right? If I were to walk up to someone, I don't necessarily need to say, don't be afraid. Because I'm so lovely and pleasant looking. But these were creatures that when you look at them, do not be afraid. Because your first instinct is, be afraid. 
But we're not going to do a full angelology, a theology of angels today. We're going to focus on the signs within what the angels were saying. And how these stories point to the kingdom of God that Jesus was bringing in through his birth. Nowhere else in the Bible is there as much angelic activity. There were times where there were angels in Jacob that we've got a little ladder behind the Christmas. I think that's so brilliant. This Christmas tree is the quiet. But Jacob's ladder where the angels were going up and down, that was a time when there were a lot of angels, but not as frequently as the story. So there's something about the fact that there were so much angels, so much angelic activity that makes the story special. And we're going to look at that. We're going to look at what the angels have to say. We're going to look at four different stories. I'm preaching all day. I've got till Christmas. There's no church next week, so we can keep going. But as we look at these four accounts, there's a question that I'd like us to hold in our minds. And it's this. What is the angel or angels telling us about the kingdom that this baby is bringing? I'll ask it again. What is the angel or angels telling us about the kingdom that this baby is bringing. And when we find these things, we'll see what that means for us going forward and celebrating Christmas this year. We're going to do things some, somewhat differently today. I've asked some friends to come along and help me tell the story. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 1, verse 5 to 25. It's not going to be on the screen because we've got some actors acting for us today. So I'm going to call the first lot of actors Apath. Luke chapter 1, verse 5 to 25. Please hold your applause to the end. The Oscars are in the mail. You can follow along. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was a descendant of Aaron also. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless, because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as priest before God. He was chosen by Lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him. Standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. Thank you. But the angel said to him.
Sure. I feel like the angel actually saved Zachariah there because he said that his wife is well along in age. So he had, his mouth had to be shut at that moment <laughs> to protect him for the future. <laughs> so there's a lot that was said in that statement. And Gabriel here is showing how John was going to be fulfilling the prophecy of Malachi chapter 4 verse 6. And ultimately a, an assistant or in, in a beautiful term that, that my people use, a fua lupachi. Right? Does anybody know what that is? So when you go to the Klopsa on the 2nd of January, right? There's the band and there's the singers and there's the dancers. But in front of them all is the Fua Lupachi. The Fua Lupachi has an umbrella or a cane. And that's the one that jaws in the front. And there's a reason why that person is there. Because on the day that they walk towards uh, Greenpoint Park or Greenpoint uh, Stadium, sorry, they march along and there's, there's like one after the other troops coming. There's some are wearing this color, some are represented from this area, this area, this area. And the Fua Lupachi is the separation between the troop that's been and the one that's coming. That one, he's got the brightest colors. He's the one that's, that's showing no longer is it the Lentechia superstars, but it's another troop that's coming along. And he's the one showing, it's not about me, even though I'm the one dancing and tapping my thing. We are coming, and we're going to bring something absolutely amazing. They were nice, they were cool, but we are better. So I'm performing because I need to show off what is coming. You guys can have a seat. John the Baptist wasn't the star. He was the Fua Lupachi for what's coming. And we see this in here. And, and one of the things that he's supposed to come and he's supposed to bring is the fact that he's going to restore. Both John, but more importantly, Jesus was coming to restore. And specifically, coming to restore families. Malachi chapter 4 verse 6 says, He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children, and the hearts of the children to their parents. And then there's the warning, Or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. The kingdom trait, that one, one of the traits that Jesus brings in is restoration. And in these verses we see restoration of family. Sadly, this is a trait that our friends, the Jewish people, have missed. Because what they do when they have their annual cedar Passover meal is that they open the door and they leave an empty seat so that Elijah can come. They've missed it. Jesus has come to bring restoration. Their hope is that Elijah will come and their family is going to be fixed. Jesus has already come. And the restoration is already available. A few weeks ago, I shared that we need to reclaim Christmas. Christmas has been destroyed by the money makers of the world, been destroyed by the world, and we need to claim it back. And one of the things that, one of the big lies that, that has been shared about Christmas is this, that Christmas must be chaotic for family. You watch any Christmas movie, those annoying Hallmark movies, I don't like them. That's the one part of Christmas that I don't like. 
But there's always some kind of angst, some kind of anger within the family. The children don't get along with the parents. The parents don't get along with the children. Nobody likes the, the in-laws for some reason. And there's chaos. And in order for this movie to be complete, there needs to be some kind of destruction or famine. And that's what we think Christmas is. So, unfortunately, part of the thing is that we get nervous and we get tense because, oh gosh, I need to spend time with that cousin and I don't like that cousin. I need to see that uncle again and he works on my nerves. He tells the same story every Christmas. That's the picture we have of what Christmas is and that's not what Jesus came to bring. In 2020, uh, a lady by the name of Carly Rae Jepsen, I don't know if you know who that is, she's saying, hey, I just met you. This is crazy. Here's my number. Right? But she wrote a Christmas song, and it's titled this. It's not Christmas until somebody cries. And in the song, she paints a picture, and she goes through a whole storyline. You're welcome to listen to it when you get home. About this, the fact, and, and the, the whole music video is them sitting around the table, and she's got a pervy uncle, and she's got one, per, one of the cousins is doing drugs. They're arguing about this. They're talking about politics, and somebody gets angry, and they push the table over, and it's chaos. The food goes everywhere, and I think there's a dog that comes and licks up the food. That's the picture of Christmas. And, based, and what she says is, it cannot be Christmas. Unless at this party on the 25th or the 24th, depending on when you eat, there is some kind of chaos that breaks out. That's the picture that the world has gotten of Christmas. But when we read this angelic story, we see that that's not who Jesus is and what he came to bring. He came to bring restoration. And my prayer for you this morning as we lead into Christmas, if there is things in your family that may bring, it's not Christmas until somebody cries, we have an opportunity because of Jesus Christ, our Savior, we've been singing about, because He wants to restore family. That goes beyond just family. Last week, Sunday evening, it was a beautiful time when we sang Christmas carols and worshiped God together. But I think the thing that made my heart the happiest, and we spoke about on Tuesday in our, in our staff meeting, was at one stage I was standing on the stage as everything was done and the show was over. And just watching people from Classic mingling with Explore, mingling with the evening service, mingling with the children, conversations being had, that's the picture of restoration that Jesus came to bring. And I'm so excited about this, this project that's coming, about the services and how it's going to look. And, and it's all in the pipeline. But I see that at PBC. I see generations coming together. It's one of the big things that we keep pushing the button on. Why? Because that's what the restoration looks like. Young, old, well off in age. We won't mention names. Coming together. Worshipping fellowshipping, restored. I'm getting carried away. I'm nowhere on my notes. This is dangerous. <laughs> Jesus came to bring restoration. The hearts of parents of the older generations being brought back to the younger generations and vice versa. What do you need to do in your spaces to make sure that that happens this Christmas?
The second story, I'm going to ask my actors to make their way to the front. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 to verse 35. You're welcome to grab your Bible for that one. Actors, you can make, to the, make your way to the front. Oh, beautiful. Luke 1, 26 to 35. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Thank you. You guys may be seated. I hope Gabriel was a little bit more sure of what he was saying when he was talking to Mary. <laughs> Gabriel continues his mission of colossal announcements. If the first one to an elderly couple was amazing, this one was completely miraculous. If Elizabeth's pregnancy was unlikely, Mary's was impossible. Except, verse 37 says, nothing is impossible with God. We don't fully understand how big this moment is. For 4,000 years, mankind had been waiting for a savior, a second Adam, a rescue, and the moment had finally arrived. Gabriel, in this little speech of his, his in, in his announcement, he alludes to God's promise to David in 2 Samuel 7, 12 to 13, regarding the kingdom and his line. This was a promise made a thousand years before Jesus' birth. Gabriel again speaks of Isaiah's prophecy regarding who Jesus is and what he would be. Made 700 years before Jesus was born. The moment that promises were being fulfilled. Something that we as followers of Jesus, we don't understand because we walk in that 2,000 years later. Because God made it possible. And he's proven himself then, and he's proven himself over and over and over and over and over again. We don't understand that these promises, the ones that we read through the Bible and we flip through the pages... Promise after promise after promise. In this moment, God was making a reality. And for us, it seems like, oh, that's just something that happened. And we live in that now. 
But for them, this was a giant moment. The promise had come. And we don't realize it, but as we walk in that, that's what gives us hope for the future. Because that's the next phrase. Gabriel talks about the fact that there's this promise that's now come through. The baby's here. But he's going to have an everlasting kingdom. One that will never end. And we can trust that. And we can believe that. We can have faith in that. Why? Because 4,000 years earlier there was a promise that came through in that moment. A thousand years earlier, there was a promise that came true in that moment. 700 years earlier, there was a promise that came true in that moment. We can trust God now because the promise came true. I thought I'd get a bit more excitement at that concept. Thank you. Think about the things that at this moment you are trusting God for. Promises that you've received. The promises that we read about in the Bible. We can trust God because he's proven faithful. He's proven faithful. I think back on my life. I think as a 17-year-old boy, when I was driving with some random person. I can't even remember who it was in the car. And this person asked me, Kirk, what do you want to do with your life when you're done with school? And all my life, the answer was, I'm going to be a chartered accountant because my parents were poor and I need to try and help them. And in that moment, as I was saying with my mouth, I'm going to be a chartered accountant, or at least in my head, my mouth literally said something else. I didn't know what I was saying until it came out of my mouth. I'm going to be a pastor. And then I realized, what did you just say? That wasn't you because you're going to be a chartered accountant. I thank the Lord that he called me away from being a chartered accountant. (laughs) No offense to the accountants. Can you imagine? (laughs) That was a promise. And the next year, I went on a Christian Union training weekend. And we had a time of prayer and prophecy. And the people who didn't know, they were very weird Christian people at Westerford High School. So they were praying for me. And I didn't really know them because I was cool and they weren't. Wow. They were Christians. No. And they were praying for me. And the one picture I still have it at home was of me standing like a teddy bear. And little kids... Sitting in front of me, because God's called you, Kirk, to share in the lives of young people. That was a promise a very long, well long ago, Matthew, that I'm seeing and experiencing now. I can trust God now, because a promise came through 2,000 years ago. That's what Christmas is, man. It's not just a bunch of stories that we just made up. It's too good to make up. It's a story of a promise that came through. I'm getting so cat. What's the time? Third story. Can I call my third actors to the front? Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 to verse 25. I think you need to sleep. You're not going to sleep. Okay, fine. Don't sleep. 
So, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 to 25. Mary was engaged to Joseph. When she found out she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Joseph was a very godly man who didn't want to publicly disgrace her. Decided, so he decided to divorce her quietly. But one night, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Saying. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And they will name him Emmanuel, God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel said. And took Mary home as his wife. Go fetch your woman. <laughs> but he didn't consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. Give him a round of applause. Talk about taking one for the team. I think this is the greatest example of compromise. Jesus is Jesus. Joseph's manhood was at stake here. His fiance was pregnant before he got married, and the child wasn't his. Yet he was gracious to deal with things privately, even before the angel appeared to him. Just look at the, the, the way that that's laid out. He was going to be nice even before the angel came. You can have a seat, Beth. Such a good Joseph. As tempting as it is to try and identify with Joseph, I want us again to look at the message that the angel brings in the dream. Joseph, son of God, son of David, sorry. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. The angel appears to Joseph in a dream and outlines the mission of this fetus. Not a baby, of the fetus. This fetus developing in Mary's womb would be Yahweh Shua, God our salvation. Now think for a moment of how a name can get you preferential treatment. I think of one of the possibly the most famous names in the world right now and what that name will give you access to. If I were to say anywhere in South Africa, no, I know Siamtanda Kulisi. I have access beyond words. Because he is a cult hero at this moment. Not just in South Africa, but any in the world. If I were to say, no, Sia sent me. Hey, I'm through. I get access to those lounges. I'll get all the food that I can think of. Because everybody loves Sia. What then about the name that above is above every name? Acts 4 verse 12 describes it as the name under heaven by which, only name under heaven by which we can be saved. That's the access that I'm talking about. 
I don't need to go to any other name because that name, his name will be Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. If we think about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God coming on earth, this was the door. Jesus walks in and the reason why he was born in a barn because he would have kicked the door open because of what he was bringing. He was bringing salvation. And all the promises that we th- I just spoke about, all that inheritance that we are accessible to, have access to, because we are children of God, the reason we have that access is because His name will be Jesus and He will save His people from their sins. Mary's immediate response to carrying the Christ child and Joseph's response to his fiance being pregnant and And the fact that he went along, it was out of obedience to what the angel said, yes. But even more so, they knew in their heart of hearts that they needed a savior. It was easy for them to go along with the angel's plan, to go along with God's plan. Why? Because they knew they were in a mess and they needed a savior. They misunderstood possibly what that savior was going to be and how he was going to save them. But they needed a savior. One of the problems we face today, 2,000 years later, is we have generations of people who don't believe they need a Savior. People living their lives as though they are good, wonderful people, doing what they think is right in their own minds, and not needing a Savior. We know the verse very well, John 3, verse 16 to 19. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him stands in condemnation already. Because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict, verse 19 says. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light. Because their deeds were evil. This is the message that this baby came to bring. This is the message that we should be bringing into a world. A world that needs a savior. It's not just because of ESCOM that we don't have light. Thank you, ESCOM, for being nice to us this week. It's because of the fact that there is so much darkness. The world is so evil. And again, I said it the last time I was here, we are called to be light bearers. That's what the kingdom of heaven brings. Our final story. Thank you for staying with me and not falling asleep. I'm going to call my friends to the front some of them and some of my friends I need some little ones so if there are any kids here this morning will you come to the front for me please anybody under the age of 25 kids will you make your way to the front anybody under the age of 25 I need you in the front I need some shepherds I need some sheep thank you you guys can come over here you I know you're a good sheep yeah problem sheep Um, the one that always runs away. You guys can, sheep, can you guys come sit over here for me, please? Those of you, sheep, can you guys sit on the floor for me like sheep? There we go. I need some batting. Do some batting. You guys can be my shepherds. Awesome stuff. Beautiful shepherds. 
wonderful shepherds, and then they're going to socky for us. No, I'm joking. As shepherds. You guys will know what will happen now. Don't be afraid. That's what the angel said. There were some shepherds out in the field, keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were very scared, but the angel said to them, Suddenly, there was a great multitude of heavenly hosts with the angel praising God and saying, let's try that again. <laughs> there was a great multitude of angels in the heavenly host with the angel saying, Praising God and saying, one, two, three. Awesome. Give them a round of applause. And give my shepherds a round of applause. You didn't look very scared, but they were brilliant. Thank you, sheep. You guys can have a seat. Awesome stuff. Thank you, angels. There was one angel that looked really pretty. Finally, the last angel's story within the narrative speaks of some of the most beautiful gifts that Jesus' kingdom carries. Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. Yet the kind of peace he brings is not necessarily what most people are thinking when it comes to hearing peace on earth at Christmas. And when the supermodels say, or Miss South Africa says, what do you want? World peace. Not necessarily that. Jesus describes himself as one who's bringing peace and that is not experienced in the way that the world thinks peace does. There's a few areas that right now we can think of the fact that there is peace needed in our world. There's inner conflict. People the world around struggling with doubt, fear, anxiety, uncertainties. They are in need of a prince of peace. We are in need of a prince of peace. Mental health professionals tell us that the Christmas holidays, this time of peace on earth, is often one of the most depressing as we realize just where we are at and how far it is away from the world. As expectations are not being met, for those of us expecting rings this Christmas, there's an inner conflict and stress multiplies. Of course, there's interpersonal conflict. I shared a little bit about it earlier. This is a time where people who don't normally spend as much time together, possibly even living in the same house, because husband's busy working, wife is busy working, children's at school, and suddenly you are forced together with these people all day and all night. 
And you can't escape and go to school. You can't escape and go to work. So you're forced with these people. There's interpersonal conflict if you go to the shopping malls. And you need to try and find a parking. And that person pulls out in front of you and takes your parking. And there's one thing left on the Black Friday sale. And you both arrive at the same time. Who's going to grab the box first? Tell me that that doesn't require some peace. (laughs) Just being in the shop is ungodly at the moment. Gosh. There's international conflict. We don't even need to highlight this. We know what's going on. In fact, in the place where Jesus, the Prince of Peace, was born, we have the furthest thing from peace at the moment. 2,000 years later, we struggle to see peace on earth to all mankind, as the angel promised. But that doesn't change the fact that when baby Jesus was born, he was ushering in something new. Remember the four lupachi? He was ushering in peace like the world has never seen before. And, And the reality is peace, perfect peace may not come and probably won't come until every knee is bowed and every tongue confesses. But we've got a responsibility to carry with us everywhere that we go a little bit of peace. When we're in the shopping mall and the trolley hits your ankle. Peace. When your wife takes an extra 45 minutes to go back to the first shop that we went to. Because she was looking for it somewhere else but she didn't. So we're going back to the first shop. That we went to in the first place when Kirk said, no, sorry, peace. (laughs) When on Christmas Day, lunch takes a little bit longer than you expected. And then load shedding hits. And the cream that's supposed to go on top of the trifle goes off. Those are silly examples. How can we bring peace? How can we usher in? Because Jesus came and he brought the kingdom of God. And all these things, all these gifts, all these wonderful things that he carried, he's given to us to carry this Christmas. There are people in your world that don't know that Jesus has come to save them from their sins. How are you going to usher in the kingdom of God that you've been blessed with? We sang about it earlier and we praise God. We worship Him. He's done such wonderful things. And come on the 31st of December because we are going to have a joy worshiping and honoring God for what He did for us this year. We want to hear testimonies of God's goodness that night, but how can you do that every day?